Hey, it's Mark Shifley here. You're listening to the Jet Centric Podcast. Okay, hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Jet Centric Podcast. I am Mike and I'm hosting this episode and with me is Daniel, Chris and Ryan. How's it going, guys? Hello. Great. And we're back. When's the street party? <laughs> they have been canceled. <laughs> uh, you don't have the five box anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, like I said, uh, this is the Jet-Centric Podcast, and I want to throw it right out on the uh, right off the bat that if uh, you, the listener, at all appreciate uh, and enjoy, or uh, if you at least tolerate what we do here as um, pretend podcasters, uh, please. Uh, like and rate us on iTunes and just give us a little shout out uh, because that does a lot of help for us um, uh, getting the word out there and spreading um, spreading some some of our Jets takes out to other people in the Jets uh, uh, Jets fandom. So please go ahead and do that. So anyways, guys, I thought I'd start by, um, yeah, just by throwing a question out to you guys uh, that this is this being the first chance that we've had to get together and talk about the Jets since they were uh, eliminated from the playoffs, the dreaded first round exit at the hands of the St. Louis Blues. So we did get a few street parties under our belts. Uh, and to the best of my knowledge, nobody got seriously injured. Uh, so I guess all, can, all things considered, not a complete failure, hopefully. Julian Rowan got punched in the head. <laughs> <laughs> Does that fit under the description of seriously injured? That's a pretty open. I don't know. I'm sure, I'm sure a few people got punched. I'm sure a few people got punched in the head over the uh, the course of the uh, ten dollar Budweiser uh, drinking. And by the way, Julian, if you listen or know anybody that knows Julian, get him to retweet our podcast, please. That would be great because we could use a thousand likes on a on a tweet. <laughs> we could use like twenty likes on a tweet. That would be. <laughs> we will give a shout out to your injury suffered at a jet street party if you like and uh retweet the podcast tweets there Ooh, uh, there we go okay so i wanted to start off just by asking um each of you three uh when you personally knew to you in your heart of hearts when you knew that the 2019 hockey news stanley cup prophecy uh, of the Jets winning the cup was not going to come to pass. Did you know this? Like before the season started, were you holding out hope until the bitter end? Uh, I'll start off with uh, Chris. Uh, when did you When did you know? Well, I don't have a date, but I knew when um, I was telling my work friends a lot of times that you're not winning a Stanley Cup if Joe Morrow, Ben Schrott, and Tyler Myers are three of your six defensemen. Um, they needed to make a trade. Uh, we talked about it well before the trade deadline about, uh, the Jake Muzzin trade. I know that didn't work out, uh, the way Toronto wanted, but it's something that I think we, we were missing was, uh, with the injuries and, and just those replacement level guys on the left side, uh, that defense wasn't made to make, uh, to make a Stanley cup run. 
And so whether that was Christmas or November or January, that was the area where I knew when those guys were getting regular playing time, uh, Sammy Niku wasn't getting regular playing time, that I, I threw in the towel. Um, the results at, at that time were we were still in first place and things were going well, relatively, if you looked at the standings. Um, but with that lineup on defense, I knew there if they if they didn't change drastically, acquiring one or two defensemen that they had they had no hope. They did require uh, acquire two defensemen that were were only slightly better and didn't get enough enough chance. So. Yeah, how about you? Uh, how about you, Ryan? What did did you uh, were you were you hanging on to the bitter end, or did you think this was coming from a mile away? Well, I think when Ken Campbell wrote that article on July fifth, twenty fifteen, I thought, well, there's no hope now because nobody predicts a Stanley Cup winner four years in advance. However, going into this season after such a hopeful year last year, I thought, you know, it's it's a possibility that they're gonna at least get to the conference finals again. And I thought that was kind of the baseline expectation where you have to hit that for it to be another successful season, at least. And I think by Christmas, we all knew, well, that's looking unlikely. Or sorry, not by Christmas, but after Christmas, we started to see um, just worrisome things that the team was not performing like they did last year. Their five-on-five play wasn't was the best. Their power play had been figured out. Hellebuck was good, but not as good as last year. And they needed all three of those things again this year. And when you just didn't see that happening pretty much from the beginning of the season, you just had a feeling that one or two rounds was kind of the ceiling for this team. Yeah. Daniel, how about you? I want to give you a chance just to chime in on that one. Yeah, well, I'll I'll agree with what... The, what uh, Chris and Ryan both said. I mean, last year we'll start from last year. They uh, at about game twenty or in the in the twenty-ish game range of the season. That's when they really took off and started dominating and just like just going right at the other team's throat all game, like pretty much every game. That's when they really turned it on. And this year, I mean, they never did that really at all. Like obviously, they had a few few handfuls of good games here and there and stuff and line a went on that nice heater that probably carried them through november so i mean realistically again yeah like ryan said around christmas time you know that december january that's when the jets really started to to just show their their weaknesses and their flaws despite winning they were i think they were in first place in the division for like something like a hundred plus days of the season and Nashville was in first for like 30 or something like that. I, I saw a tweet a while back. I can't, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like that. Like they were just masking it by either getting lucky, getting timely, timely goal scoring or, or good goaltending, especially from the, from Laurent Brassois at the start of the year. He kind of made up all those points. Cause you think what was Brassois final record this year, like 12 and three or something or 12 and four and one or something like that. So, you know, you kind of want your backup to be around 500 and Brissois was definitely way above that. So imagine take six wins off or five wins off Brissois. That's like 10 points for the Jets. Where does that put them in the standings by the end of the year, right? So I think it's just a culmination of a whole bunch of different things that we should have seen. That some of us did see and some maybe not until later in the season that 
that's when we can tear up the prophecy and or, or <laughs> cross it out and put 2020 on there, that kind of thing. Brassois right, played 21 saying, games. Sorry, I was just saying, Brassois played 21 games. He went 13-6-2. Right, okay, so if we take off, we'll say three, three or four, that's six or six or eight points. And then it's just kind of, you know, they weren't actually as high as they were even from having a backup goaltender that was performing exceptionally well. And two of his losses, I think, were from when Hellebuck got pulled, the Jets came back, and they still lost because he let in like the one, one goal game, and 20 shots. There was at least one, the one or two. Game he yeah. played, the one game he played like a minute, and he let in a goal in that minute. And he ended up getting oh, lost. Oh. Yeah, that was on the he let in a goal on the power play. Yeah, that's right. And then there was yeah. one other one other instance where they were down like five one and lost like six five or something crazy like that. Just some weird weird stuff happened. So it's just there's a lot of little factors that you know Brassois definitely performed way higher than anyone ever could have expected. And Hellebuck was a little lower than anyone could have expected, right? But we obviously can't expect him to be a Vesna finalist every year. And I think Hellebuck had a fine season, not a great season. You know, he wasn't absolute garbage. He wasn't spectacular. He was just good, right? He was just kind of what what I think we should expect. Maybe we should expect a little bit more, but definitely not best in the finalist every every single season. I'd, if I could add a couple of things. One is that, and it's kind of pointless, but uh, to, to the 2014-15 season when everybody says uh, Pavlik brought us to the playoffs, it was actually Michael Hutchinson doing exactly what Brassois did in the first half of the season that got us in the playoffs when he was whatever he was 18 2 and 1 or whatever um those points were what got us into the playoffs had he we had a regular Pavlik season that year uh we wouldn't have even been close for those last five games to have meant anything and uh to Ryan's point about Ken Campbell predicting the the Stanley Cup champions Sports Illustrated predicted uh the uh Houston Astros winning the the World Series I think in about four years previous oh, and they got right. it right yeah so it does happen which is kind it of happens. crazy that's yeah that's nutty yeah well i know um man to me it's like if you ever have an issue with your podcast going too long it's like you could just talk or you could just explain everything down to goaltending right like that's you could basically <laughs> just i mean yeah i know for me i for me i was like i feel like i was a total Man, I just felt so stubborn that there's no way that this couldn't be the Jets' year. And I just stuck with that point, even while, like, my gut began to tell me otherwise, like, pretty early in the season. Like, I'm with you guys, really, that by, you know, whether it was, like, you know, November, December, January, like, like basically, like, I feel like a lot of Jets fans kind of came around to the fact that this just for whatever reason, just doesn't seem like our year. And even like guys, like like we have season seats, we go like to five, six games a year. Uh, but we know like a bunch of the guys around, just regular, you know, fellow Jets fans and just talking to them, they were saying the same thing. Like we'd go to games in the second half and it just, it just felt different. And, but man, I had a tough time letting go of that because <laughs> I'm looking at, the other, I'm looking at Pittsburgh and freaking Tampa Bay getting swept in four games, and like Calgary got eliminated um, when the Jets were still looking good, and I just, I just felt like I was beating my head against the table or something, waiting for 
the Jets just to seize this opportunity. Like it felt like the prophecy was coming true all around us, just not, just not on our own, not on our own home ice. That's for sure. So, it's it's really crazy that um, I've found. Uh, I lost my train of thought. I apologize. Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I think um, I wanted to get in. What I wanted to do is, to me, it's like it's you kind of one of the ways we could look at is all what happened in the regular season and what happened in the playoffs. But because the playoffs is, I think, a little bit, it looks good on the Jets. But what I think the best thing to do is look at the biggest sample size, po- sample size possible, look at the entire season. And I think what we want to do is we want to look at, I think, look at the question of what happened and maybe from our own perspective, our own non, you know, TSN 1290 perspective uh, and kind of look at it. And I think maybe just another general question, and I'm going to start with you, Daniel. Just what do you think happened this year? Is We've talked about goaltending. Is it, did it all kind of come down to goaltending for you? Or do you want to highlight something else that, that kind of separated this year's team from last year's team? Yeah, so I, as I said like earlier, it, didn't, it wasn't really the goaltending that was 100% of the problem. I mean, yeah, it could have been better. But most teams will say, yeah, our goaltending could have been better. But why could your goaltending have been, have been better? Is it your system? Hellebuck? let let or face sorry face the most amount of shots in the nhl this season i do believe um i assume that didn't change in the last 10 days of the season when i first noticed that's uh rick ralph had tweeted that out um and also eric Comrie of the manitoba moose was leading the league in uh, shots against leading the hl in shots against so that is definitely something that's systemic that runs through the entire organization so i'm actually going to circle back and say the Jets it's their defensive zone structure whether it's the forwards just not not caring the weird man-to-man hybrid stuff they run you know that, that that's probably more to me what it is is just not very good coaching and as well as lineup deployment and ideal lines and who's eating popcorn who's not eating popcorn who should be eating popcorn and that kind of stuff um just finally just caught up with them that they just couldn't win uh in spite of uh the uh, coaching staff of the of the team. And that's something that uh, I know I would like to see rectified. Um, I don't think we will see it next season. Maybe I, uh, I'm not sure. And obviously the, like Chris, Chris had also mentioned the, the defenseman, the left side depth is not really good. And that, that does factor into to that, that as well. Obviously their forwards are fairly deep. Um, Shifley and Wheeler, just a whole bunch of different lineup decisions. Kind of just, it's kind of like a little trickle down effect to having maybe not quite as good goaltending as expected. Yeah, they got to stop the puck, but if they're facing a million high-danger chances a game, you're not going to stop as many pucks that way. That's that's kind of what it comes down to. It's just systems and all that fun stuff. Well, well, actually, I want to circle back to Chris on that because the question in my mind is, I want to kind of go at the question of, you know, we talk about Maurice, but is that kind of passing the buck a little bit from Chevy a little bit? Because Chris, you talked earlier about the Jets, the makeup of the Jets defense core. And I think that I agree with you that it just wasn't, it wasn't to the point where it was going to be able to get it done in a playoff series. And do you put some of the blame for this year on Chevy? And and if so, how much? I don't, I don't put it that I don't put it on him. I think he's done everything he can to get, 
the kind of guys we don't need on our team out of here other than some of the left-handed D stuff. And that comes down to lineup decisions by the coach mostly. Sammy Niku could have been playing all year instead of trying to force him in in March when it was too late. Um, and we can talk about line deployment and and all that stuff that's been an issue for, for a couple of years now. But what I don't like, and I talked about this on the season preview show, I think, with Marat, is why this team insists on playing dumbed-down hockey. They play slow. They play down to opponents. Um, they're one of the, they should be one of the quickest teams in the league. Um, they're one of the top three talented teams in the league. Why are we dumbing down the game? Why, are, why is the coach coming out and saying, we're playing against a heavy team, so we're going to have to take out Jack Roslevic and put in a heavy body? Why aren't we going out and just trying to run up the score on people? What are we doing when you've got potentially five, maybe six 30-goal scorers on your team? Or guys that could score 30 goals, and you're playing this slow system. You're playing this... All, they're clearly their only metric they care about in the offensive zone is zone time. They don't care about high quality chances. So you've got these guys circling around the outside of the ice. Um, there's no urgency on either side of the puck. There's no urgency killing penalties. Um, there's clearly no urgency on the power play. Um, so that's where my frustration is. We can argue if you know Andrew Cobb should be a third line player or a fourth line player or a second line player. Or if we should break up Shifley and Wheeler, at the end of the day, the style that they're playing with, the amount of talent they have, does not match. That's my biggest issue, and I think that that's what is the downfall of the team, is not playing quick. You watch other teams play, they play fast, man. They pass quickly, um, they get out of their zone quickly, and, and the Jets are slow for, for a team that has some good team speed. That That's my problem. Yeah, I... Um... <laughs> Oh, sorry, go ahead. You have to remember, Paul Marie started coaching in this league 24 years ago. He's mm-hmm. so stuck back in the time where you have to play a heavy game. And I don't know if that's going to change. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. And it it's so accurate for him because he says, I don't want to track meat. But when they do that type of hockey... They can score six, seven goals in a game. Why are and they I so good? Under- Sorry to interrupt you, Ryan. Why are they so good when they're losing? Because they turn off that filter and then they come back in the third period. Because and they, they play the way listening. they should play. Right, exactly. Go on. I totally agree with you. That was my next point. Right. You yeah. sound heated right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, you bang on. That's why it gets me going because you're, you're exactly right. What you were going to say is exactly right. I want to interrupt Ryan, too, and say, like, how come the Jets looked so much better in the playoff series on the road against St. Louis? Matchups. How, how come when we didn't have the choice of line changes, did they do so much better? That's a rhetorical question at this point, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm here, like, I'm here, like, shaking, holding my hands, getting just pissed off right now, thinking about, anyways... I sorry. I just also. Sorry, Ryan. I also. I'm gonna run through. I'm gonna run through a brick wall like Adam Lowry. (laughs) I think that was Blake Wheeler or Blake Wheeler, whatever. One of the tall. One of the tall guys. Yeah. No, what I found interesting (laughs) is the the first five games of the series, the team that threw the most hits lost. Hmm. 
And because wow. I think that you're in, and I think that kind of correlates with who's playing at home. You're feeding off that energy and you're trying to also inject more energy in the building. And you know, you're going to get that rise of the crowd when you start throwing your body around hitting people. So the home team is out there just trying to do everything, wasting energy on hitting people. And the away team is then just focusing on making a play because they're not trying to get anyone fired up. They're just trying to play hockey and score goals. You're not trying to throw your body around like Brandon Tanev just because. And then, of course, uh, in, in game six, St. Louis did out-hit Winnipeg, but they out-everything Winnipeg did. Because the Jets didn't play that night. but I Yeah. I don't know if they even caught the flight out. <laughs> I, if we had an I airport, that they was, may have. Uh, yeah, I guess they they missed the bus to Fargo, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, um, I want actually to, to, to stay with you, Ryan, actually, because we've started to offer some of, I guess, our explanations or our wondering, you know, we're kind of trying to wrap our head around what happened this year. But just I'm just thinking about the the post, uh, what do they call it, the lock the locker room clean-out day interviews, the exit interviews that they all had. And I just wanted to circle back to you, Ryan, because, yeah, I'm just curious what some of the reasons the players gave, uh, if, if they gave any, how come, what reasons they gave why the season ended so early? It's interesting to hear that Ehlers played game six with a fractured leg. That's insane for a player to come out and, and do that. And I guess it didn't hurt during the game, but after the game, it hurt like hell. But Brandon Tanev, he missed, or he had surgery two days before the playoffs because the top half of his finger broke off and they had to screw it back together. Had surgery. But, of course, two injury. everyone's going to play with injuries. You don't hear about it until afterwards. What I'm interested in is that Wheeler and Shifley came out and said, no, we were 100% healthy all year. And that's concerning because they both kind of fell off. I know Wheeler set a franchise record in assists in a season, but they still didn't have that chemistry that we were used to seeing. So to hear which players did have injuries and which didn't was very surprising to me. Now, I, I don't believe in excuses. You can't use that as an excuse. You can't use age as an excuse. You can't use travel as an excuse. There are no excuses because every team goes through that same stuff. It's just magnified because you're in that in that market. So I, I don't buy into any of that. Um, the exit interviews were interesting, though, to hear Line a saying, oh, I've had a bad back for two years. Well, that's kind of concerning. Now, he's going to be sitting across from the GM negotiating a contract that's going to pay him upwards of, what, $10 million for the next how many years? For a guy who has a bad back, kind of concerning. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I was surprised as well to hear that. That I mean, I didn't even i I didn't even know if there was a question asked about Shifley being healthy or not because he, for me, was the player that was obviously playing hurt. I mean, you had to, you had to wonder. I mean, I just. I looked it up. He did in the six playoff games played. He scored two goals and three assists. But, but boy, I thought either he was just pulling a disappearing act while doing that, or, or like he was playing with some kind of horrible injury and just 
just you know doing everything he possibly could to to do even that i yeah i didn't know what to make of that um uh by the way uh i want to go to you daniel next here but um uh but uh about i want to go to you daniel about the uh, exit interviews if you had anything that any t- kind of takeaways from the players perspective um but i i hate to do this but i have to give you guys a quick trivia question what is tyler myers dmitry kulikov ben Sherat, jack roslevic par lindholm and nikolai ehlers all have in common zero, zero points goals in, zero points, points in the playoffs zero points so I hate to say that because I actually didn't think that Ehlers looked bad at all in the playoffs, but we're all, all Jets fans are going to turn into, um, uh, we're going to cannibalize each other this offseason even more than usual about what's supposed to happen to the roster, right? And uh, I'm just, I'm a little bit scared for our, for our dear son, uh, our not so large adult son, Nikolai Ehlers. That's what I'm feeling right now. Well, well, maybe if if it sorry Daniel, or maybe if his coach wouldn't put him on the same fucking line for sixty two games of the year that doesn't work, <laughs> maybe he would have scored. Like I, I just, I'm sorry. You, yeah, you want to talk about getting heated? Nothing gets me heated more than talking to hockey fans that don't understand line uh, line mates and how important they are. And when you've got exactly the same player, little Ealers and Line Air, aren't aren't exactly the same player but essentially they bring you the same things all on the same line nobody's going to be successful and how a coach that's coached for 25 years doesn't see that and continues to run that that's what Nikolai Ehlers problem is it's not him it's not the playoffs are too heavy for him it's his line mates for me I don't care if Nikolai Ehlers doesn't score to a point because his specialty is zone entries and you notice when he came back from that injury the whole team got faster because he stopped playing the team stopped playing the dump and chase game when he was on the ice because he would just rip through get zone entry and then distribute the puck wherever it needed to go and then they go to work maybe they didn't score quite as often as we had hoped but you again I agree with you Chris you put him with the right people that zone entry is huge because some of the scorers on this team don't have that skill, and you put them together, and you actually get offensive zone time, then you're then you're golden. Because there's a lot of times where they put out the top line, they try to dump it in, and it immediately gets turned over, and then your scorers are stuck in the defensive zone for the next 40 seconds. So I totally agree with you, Chris. Yeah, that's that's... That's I'll I'll just carry on on what what the what you guys were just saying there like Ehlers you know he's his own entry guy like that's he's fast fast as hell he can carry the puck up and down like up and down the ice no problem he can do he can skate laps or circles around a lot of players in the NHL and obviously not all of them some and he's good like he's good with the puck on his stick and he can he can get in the zone and that's where you want to be you want to be in the O zone but put like just Putting him out there with little line A just has never worked. It, it it's just not going to work. That's that's it. And it's just I just, just hate that, that that was the first big lineup change. I'm using air quotes right now. That, that was putting uh, Ehlers little line A, and I I love all three of them. You know, 
but they just don't work together. And that's at the end of the day, like we had said, it's just deployment, right? And that that kind of stuff. And again, that is part of the system too, right? The it's it's the system is not fit for the team. And I, I know you guys had mentioned that, but I, I'm just saying that I agree with that. And it's just yeah. And back back to the exit interviews, I didn't catch a whole lot of that. I was kind of shut the jets off for a few days, so I kind of missed most of that. But I hear Wheeler's running through brick walls. Maurice um, Shifley was deflecting a few questions, if I'm not mistaken, or someone was deflecting and to, to whoever was sitting beside them, or maybe it was Truba. I'm not sure, but just just a bunch of just a bunch of standard stuff. And I mean, I actually didn't think about the point about the injuries and and that you know Ethers with his broken or fractured leg, Tanev missing a finger. Um, those weren't really surprising. Like we knew Ethers was hurt. We knew Tanev had some kind of hand injury. But then you say Shifley and Wheeler and a few others were 100% healthy. That, that's that's yeah, that's concerning. That's that's something else to think about. What is what 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 happened, right? It's well, also just a little bit weird for Shifley to if that's what he if if he's 100 percent healthy. It's just so weird for such a hockey nerd like him to be skipping the World Championships, right? Isn't that kind of weird? He's he might be healthy, but he's exhausted. He's playing. Yeah. He's pissed yeah. off. He's playing 24 minutes a game in in November. What the and what he, the f- what are we doing yeah. here? Yeah, and he's played that close to probably I'd say like. 200 games now since if you include last year and this this season with a, a short off season a three-month off season and stuff that does add up and i think it is good that he, he skipped in the world championship even even if he's uh if he's 100 healthy but it, it is it is a good just general general thought yeah um i would if i could talk about the exit injured interviews i wouldn't have to because my only thing that i think is of any importance is blake wheeler after the clinching game First of all, I don't care that he swore at a reporter. Uh, I got a real problem with the with the timing of that, considering they shit the bed. And yeah, he's going to yeah, yeah. sit there and say, we played our best game. If that's you shout, if, if it, that's it's your ab- best game, you should retire. Pack it in. Exactly. <laughs> Honestly, give up. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, that, that was right. <laughs> That's the worst thing I've ever heard. If that's you go out and you outshoot them forty-two to seventeen, and you lose two-one because Bennington stole the game, then you can you can tell the reporter to fuck off and and whatever. But you have six shots on goal in forty minutes, and you're gonna pull attitude like that. Uh, that's what I have a problem with. I could after that I couldn't give a shit less what they said at the at on the podium because that's that's just lying and that's you, garbage. You can tell that. He, maybe he's not handling the captaincy like he does everyone quite hopes. Right? Because he, he was the one that specifically asked for Hendricks to come back. And we heard that from the TSN guys at the Puck Talks event. He asked, him and Shifley said, we need Hendricks back because I can't do it in that room myself. So obviously there's something wrong there. Is he not the right guy? You got to start thinking about that. I I... I like him as a player, but if he's saying I can't do it, and then he's losing his marbles at interviews, and he can't answer questions honestly, and he's just deflecting or telling people to fuck off, then is he the guy that can bear any sort of responsibility? And Obviously sounds, not. That sounds like me and my everyday life, and I'm not a professional. <laughs> so. And, and 
trickle down because don't we hear that quite often from the coach about how so-and-so gets to play because the other guy isn't really good at things that are coachable? That's Maurice is Maurice is teaching Wheeler how to deflect. Maurice deflected on the Huddy. Make excuses. He was saying that it was the defense's fault. So he's deflecting on the Huddy. He he isn't taking responsibility. And 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 again, you're talking about just just completely bullshitting people. And I mean that's a common th- theme around around this team. Just saying things for the sake of it. I also heard from somebody that Charlie Huddy has. And I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but it's rumor, conjecture, take it for what it's worth, that Charlie Huddy's been trying to change the hybrid system. So maybe he isn't to blame after all. Wow. Because, okay, that's surprising to hear because you can kind of see, uh, like you can kind of see, like if you pay attention to things, I think, the sort of the lay of the land. And one of the big questions as far as, well, what are the Jets going to change this offseason? Well, the main question is, even the Leafs are asking it, should we fire Babcock, like our $8 million a year coach? If they're willing to ask that question, you know that the Jets management, uh, Maurice himself, like they know that usually heads roll when you have a disappointing season like this. So it seems like they don't want to do that. But I've sort of, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but it seems like Huddy has almost sort of been a little bit offered up as, as okay, here's here's your scapegoat for the year. Like we can make this change, but the rest of us get to keep our jobs. Is that what you guys have been seeing? And and yeah, and I mean, like, is that is that honestly fair? Is this like is this like is this uh, fiddling while Rome burns? I don't see how any assistant coach uh, last nine seasons with a team. If you, the furthest you've ever gone is to the conference finals once, and Huddy's been here since day one, and. For other than two maybe of the years, defense has been a really big problem. I don't know how he gets through this. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I said since the Jets came back probably since 2012 that loyalty is going to be the downfall of this organization. That It's often run like a minor league organization where people's jobs are kept based on who they know, how long they've been around, and that's going to kill you. It's great that Brian Little and Blake Wheeler wanted to resign here. It was completely unnecessary to resign them for those contracts, and that's going to kill us. We're going to lose Nikolai Ehlers or, or Connor or somebody like that to keep Brian Little. Um, loyalty, this is show business. It's not show friends, right? Like, you got to make tough decisions. And how Charlie Huddy sticks around, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they've been Huddy's been around since since the be, since the beginning. Is that what you, you said, Chris? Sorry, I, I might have missed that. As far as I know, he's been yeah. our defense coach since day one. Yeah, that's okay. Since that, the Stone Age. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty yes, since the Stone Age. I I'm pretty sure he has been as well. I'll, I for sure agree with that as well as uh, Wade Flaherty has been the those right. are the two those guys that have been for the team with the team since. They had Claude Noel as a coach, and the only change was the offensive, other than the head coach, was the offensive coach. Uh, I can't, uh, what the hell was his name there? Uh, Perry Pern, and they moved on to Jamie Compon, I believe. I think that's the only change other than the head coach. So usually, you know, I don't know if this is something that 
is crazy, but don't when you fire your head coach, don't you just send all the other guys packing as well, unless you're promoting one of them to be the not the interim head coach, but the permanent head coach? Or am I just absolutely generally generally the head coach gets to pick his guys? That's yeah, that's that's and that's what I'm trying to say here. Like when you fire the head, like so Paul Maurice walked in and said, Yeah, sure. We'll keep we'll keep Huddy and and oh I'm just thinking Pascal Vincent was before Compon so they've changed the offensive coach three times the defensive coach zero times and the goaltending coach zero times in since the Jets have returned other other and the head coach so Maurice said okay yeah we'll keep we'll keep Charlie and Wade here for the long run and we'll just keep recycling the offensive uh, the offensive sure. coaches that's basically what I'm seeing so that tells you right there that there is. Um maybe nepotism or whatever you want to call it. I don't know the right word going on, right? If, if, if he's getting the opportunity, he doesn't even get the opportunity to hire his own guys. He's being told these are your assistant coaches. As much as we don't like Maurice, whatever, that's ridiculous. Yeah, that's, that's kind of where I was going with that. Yeah. Right, you're right. That, that shovel day off or Chipman or somebody is saying, no, these guys are staying, doesn't matter. That's ridiculous. Like I said, the loyalty is what's going to kill this franchise. I wonder, one of the things I wonder about is kind of when the, I mean, I think that a lot of Jets fans are sort of used to the fact that, okay, True North is a pretty unique ownership group. They, um, they, they kind of march to the beat of their own drum compared to other teams in the league. They're very loyal, like you said, Chris. I'm just kind of wondering like when at some point like some outside media is going to start talking about this because it's one thing for people us here in Winnipeg or just just Jets fans talk about it but when are you know when's uh when it, when are other people going to be started kind of like raising the point like boy this is this team is the ownership is it's just a little bit weird you know what I mean yeah that's yeah yeah that's that's right and I, I mean the Jets, they don't get a lot of national media attention or outside media attention. I mean, the one the one that I can think of, um, I can't remember his name, Pekka. He he does tweet about uh, about more negative stuff. I'm, you know, about the coach, about Maurice or about Chevy or or players and stuff. Uh, it's the Finnish reporter Pekka Yalinen, I believe, is his his name. That's the one I can think of, and obviously he's not a big mainstream Canadian or North American guy, and that's kind of what we need is some outside pressure on on the, you know, not from the fans. I I don't really know, but yeah, I do I do agree with you, Mike, on that a little bit. But I think yeah. Craig Button Craig Button's been critical in the past of of Maurice, um, but it doesn't matter because their playbook worked, right? The playbook of being loyal and patient worked. That's how they got the team back, and we can't. Um, question that because that worked and we're all you know getting we get the stress and the happiness of having a team back because of that patience and that loyalty and all that kind of stuff that they did with the moose and I, I admire it to a point but it the goal is to win the Stanley Cup every year right um, you're not going to win it any year and 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 realistically you know some years you're not going to but um, patience and loyalty and all that kind of stuff isn't going to win you cups in the long run running a professional organization is what does it and making hard decisions. Exactly. I, I, Chris, I want to just 
I want to really underline to me what you're saying is exactly right. And I think that it bears just just really stressing that. Uh, so loyalty and patience are not bad things, but they can't be the like the compass by which you guide your organization, at least not in terms of hockey. But I would argue no organ organization should be like have those things as your guiding principles, because what you actually need is good judgment. And loyalty and patience are things that can uh, can like build up towards having really good judgment. But if I, I just I see this and I, I respect it because I see there's good things in having like the it seems like like True North or Chipman like really wants to have like this legacy thing of captains of the Jets. And I was at the ceremony where they had all of the captains there and and I, I, I part of me really likes that. But the whole point is you want to have a successful organization. Uh, like you said, like loyal, how are you supposed to build loyalty when there's eight, eight year contract limits and players are past their prime by the time they're 28 years old? Like, what are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do there? I, I, I would be really curious for, uh, to hear like a, a long form answer the next time. If someone can ask Chipman at the season ticket holders meeting, that's a question I'd love to hear asked. You get I, escorted out by your ear after asking that one. <laughs> <Right>. but, uh, <laughs> and I get flag. it. But I get it. We have an inferiority complex in this city. And again, if a guy like Blake Wheeler sits across a, a, a nice oak table from you and says, I want to be here for eight years, yep. And, uh, you know, I'll sign a reasonable contract and Mark Chipman and Kevin Shoveldayo over sitting there. How would you say no to that? I mean, I get it. But you don't see Tampa Bay signing 31-year-old guys to eight-year contracts. Do you see teams like Florida doing that? And look where it gets them. I, I, I just, it's tough because you, they have to, they're questioning themselves, I'm sure, the whole time. Do we fit in? Um, you know, again, who wants to be here, this and that, but like, I'm sure it would make Kevin Shovel day off literally sick to his stomach 10 months ago when we were talking about maybe now's the time to trade Blake Wheeler. Right. So the easy, the easy way out to appease everybody is to just sign him to the contract, pay him what he's worth and hope that he doesn't embarrass you the last three years. Or at least win a couple of cups. Right. I mean, I get it, but it's it, you're not it, long term. That's not it's not sustainable. I get it. I totally get it, and I almost don't fault them for it. But it's it's not a recipe for success. You guys are being very negative right now. I just want <laughs> you to be thankful that we have a team. <laughs> oh God, yeah, I'm I'm thankful that my heart rate's at 150 right now. That's yeah. <laughs> Chris got me riled up. I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? Actually, I didn't want to. I kind of wanted to. If our, if we had like the, if we had like a pro producer of a pod producer and everything for this, um, uh, uh, TSN actually, because I listen to TSN a lot, right? They actually had like a recorded, uh, thank you speech, like um, like basically a message from TSN to, I guess everybody, and it was basically like. They wanted to thank the players, thank True North, thank the fans. Like they like they kind of like just went through and thanked everybody. And I just 
thought, how, like, I don't know who this is, like, who is kind of feeling this, but I just thought it was so weird that they were thanking, um, yeah, I just thought that was pretty gratuitous. They literally did it. They literally. Oh, that was, that was the 1290 thing, right, Mike? That was a 1290 recording. Yeah. I think right. it was the kind of thing they'll, you know, the broadcast every day for, for, uh, for a couple weeks or whatever with the season being done. But at wow. the end, at the end of the final post game show, Kevin, I didn't want to say names, but Kevin, oh, he's he thanked True North at the end of it, and then I shit myself and went to sleep. <laughs> Honestly, they're just thanking their bosses on live air now. Like, I, I mean. Again, we can joke about it. We had a great time at that uh, event with the athletic with Marat and uh, Rick and 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 Hustler, and they told us a lot of stuff that they don't say on air, and I thought that was great and really honest and open. So I, I guess take a second to talk to the listeners. I know sometimes we can come across negative, but I think it's important to have both sides of the conversation and to be really honest about what what you're seeing and what you're feeling. And I don't think overall that we're negative. I think that we present other sides of the argument and I think it's important to to feel critical of you know a lot of us spend a lot of money on this team and I think it's okay to question what people are doing and not just players uh, a lot of positive fans have no problem shitting on players but they have they have no time for questioning the organization and I don't think that that's fair and I think that that's what jet centric a lot of what we're about is is presenting both sides of things. Well, what I don't like is when people say, "Oh, you're happy that they lost." Mm. Oh, they lost. You, yeah, I guess you got it right. Aren't you happy with yourself? No. <laughs> I mean, I've seen <laughs> the exact it coming. Opposite. <laughs> I saw it coming months ago, but I was still pissed off watching it on TV. I I didn't want to see them lose. I still bought the whiteout merch. I still went to the street party. I still was cheering them. I didn't yell True North during the anthem, but I still cheered <laughs> them on. Like, no one wants to see them succeed more than us. We just know... I should be careful on how I say it. We just dig deeper and see, well, why the fuck isn't this working right now? A lot of fans watch the game and they say, oh, we just didn't have it tonight. They'll get it next time, though. We're still in first. It's okay. And then to those people, I've said, watch the game differently. Pick a player, watch him for a couple shifts. Pinpoint exactly what he's doing. And there's podcast listeners that have tweeted at us saying, I watch the game differently now and see it in a whole other light. And thank mm-hmm. you for that, because I kind of realize now what's going on more than I did before. That's what we're doing. We're not saying this team is garbage and they should move. Well, Daniel has said that before. <laughs> but, uh, I, I'm, I am all for moving. No, I'm just kidding. I, I actually like the Jets. We want to see them <laughs> hoist the Stanley Cup every spring. But we also know when it's not going to happen, and we call them on their shit. That's all we're doing. And I think yeah. we've talked, we've tweeted it before differently, and, and all of us have said it differently. You go out for dinner and your food's not good, you're going to talk to somebody about it. You watch a shitty movie. You know it's a shitty movie. You don't have to be employed in the movie business to know that you've watched a shitty movie. Ah, the, the meal will goes... be better next time, Chris. The meal will yeah. taste much better next time. Just, shut up just order take... the same thing. 
<laughs> if, if you if you run a restaurant and you served your fries undercooked to every single person and nobody ever told you your fries are undercooked, you would keep doing it and you'd go out of business. You need to be held accountable and you need people to be critical of things, even when you're in first place, but you're playing like shit. And, and I think that that's what we're doing. Nobody wants them to lose. Uh, like we talked about, you spend the money, you work hard for your money, and you spend it on them. Everybody wants them to succeed. It's just, it's not blind faith. Just because they have the name Winnipeg on their jersey doesn't mean, I mean, they don't, but doesn't mean that they get a free pass. And you look yeah. what happened, you, you look what happened, has happened with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and that's what happens when you give a team a free pass. You go 30 years without winning a great cup. Yeah, that's, that's why you yeah, become and... a Saskatchewan fan. Yeah, uh, damn yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, like, I'll just continue on with what you guys were saying before. I know we're almost coming up on time now. So I actually like the Jets. And the reason why <laughs> I spend so much time pretending or saying that they should move and stuff is because they frustrate me so much that it's just like, why, why do I do this to myself every single game or every single night? And I mean, I, I can sleep fine at night. Like I do understand it's just a game, but if I'm going to spend my time, you know, I want to see the win and I'm also able to understand why they're not winning. And I am able to criticize and point out their flaws and stuff that as to why they're not winning as to why they won't win and spend a lot of my time figuring out why they're not well not like I don't spend 24 hours a day but you know just thinking about it right why why they didn't win or why why they won how they won did they get lucky or did they actually play good right and that's just a whole bunch it's just watching the game in a different light understanding the game differently um, being able to see how contracts and stuff like that can affect you your cap percentages and just a whole bunch of other stuff that I know a lot of us, especially that are involved with the podcast and other and some of our listeners and do and everyone can fan in their own way. I'm not telling you, you know, watch the game this way. You got to understand all the advanced stats, all that and everything. But you also have to be able to understand that it's more than just they didn't have it tonight. Why didn't they have it tonight? That's the question you got to ask. Is it because it's poor coaching? Are the players crappy? Are they playing crappy players too too many minutes versus their good players? Um, bad luck, good luck. There's just so many factors that go into each and every hockey game, and we just spend a whole lot of time, or I like to spend a whole lot of time thinking about it and trying to figure it out. And I mean, that's just something I like to do, right? That's just what I like to do. And some people just turn on the game for two and a half hours and just watch it, say, ah, they didn't have it tonight, or oh, they played good tonight, and they don't and that's think why... about anything. And that's fine as well. That's that's, and that's fine. That's why it's a wonder. It's that's why you're right nearly half the time, Daniel. Yeah, that's, 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 that's right. That's, that's correct. And I mean, obviously, I, I and just like Ryan had mentioned about losing and stuff, I wasn't happy they lost, you know, especially with the way they played that game six. I mean, had they got, outshot them 50 to 20 and lost, okay, maybe I'd be, I would be able to accept it a lot, a lot better that, that they lost. And I mean, were we, some of us, right, that they weren't going to win the cup early in the season or midway point of the season? Yeah, but I still wanted them to win the cup. I still wanted them to succeed. It's just, it's just realizing when and how that it's probably or might not happen. That's all I got to say. Well, I think, um, I think that's probably all we all as a group have to say. Uh, 
because um, I think we've kind of covered we've covered a lot of things. So um, I wanted just to throw uh, you guys will hate me, but I wanted to throw one last thing. Just just kind of looking ahead, uh, just a quick sound off on just what each where your mind is at. What's what's kind of on your mind as a Jets fan going ahead into the off season? Uh, might be something that's stressing you out, or or um, or you're just thinking about your next barbecue that you're going to be hosting. But uh, but uh, I thought we'd just real quick just throw it to you. Uh, Maybe Ryan, Chris, Daniel, just what's on your mind going ahead as as a Jets fan? What are you thinking about going into the offseason? I'm thinking about the pizza that's about to arrive at my place in the next five to ten minutes. I could care less. I am pretty good at hitting that switch when the final buzzer sounded. Done with hockey. Whatever happens come October, I'll deal with it then. That's where I'm at, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, on to you, Chris. I was going to add one thing to what Daniel was saying about uh, about the amount of, uh, I don't know if he'll call it work, but um, I would think people would be surprised the amount of time that some of us quote-unquote negative fans put into the team, talking about them, thinking about them, and the amount of resources we, we use. I think we have a infrastructure uh, contributing to this podcast of about 45 people. Um, I know there's only you know, six or seven of us that appear on air. Um, and, uh, and then of course the outside contributors, but we, we draw from 40 or 50 of the smartest hockey people in the city, uh, with a lot of our opinion. And I think that that's something that also people need to know. And we spend hours upon hours talking about this team, figuring out these things. And they're not just our opinion, they're a culmination and a, and a group effort of, of a lot of other people. Um, as far as what's burning for me, and I think I also said this on the preview show, um, and it's hard to explain, but in simplest terms, I think I said at the beginning of the year, and I stand by this, Jacob Truba is our most important player. And I think that that looms large with this contract trade and all that kind of stuff. He's not our best player. He's our most important one. And uh, so that tells you how I feel about what needs to happen with him. So. Daniel, I promised you one closing thought. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know how, how I'm feeling. They, uh, you know, I always look up, okay, what's up next? We got the draft. That's for the Jets. The Jets have like three draft picks, so maybe something on draft day. Um, then you look at all the contracts, all the RFAs, UFAs. So I'm, you know, I just, like I said, I just generally just, I'll just be following the team throughout the summer and. I, you know, my pressing thing obviously is Line Connor Truba contracts. That's that's what I'll go with. Those big RFAs. That's that's what I'll say. And uh, I'd also like to uh, to thank thank True North for this opportunity to be a part of this podcast. Okay, um, that's it. <laughs> Cut them off. Stop the recording. <laughs> play the music, please. Play the music. Play, play, play them out. <laughs> okay. Well, my my closing thought is that I hope to 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 harangue a couple of you guys back on maybe for one last uh one last grasp to to talk about some uh, jets excuses maybe uh to to kick this can one more time but um we'll see about that hopefully we can if nothing else i would like to formally welcome vladimir guerrero jr to the toronto blue jays because i'm going to be spending a lot of my summer with you uh you know as closely and as intimately as possible because you're uh you're my you're my thickest new best friend so uh, and I and I hope one day to convince podcast creator AJ to share the same feelings as I do. So, anyways, thanks guys.
for doing this. Uh, again, you've been listening to the Jet Centric Podcast, episode 54. Uh, please, uh, if you haven't already, just just give us a give us a like, a good rating on iTunes, and um, and thanks for all your your likes and retweets on Twitter as well. So, uh, on behalf of Chris, Ryan, Daniel, and myself, Mike, uh, it's been a lot of fun chatting Jets with you this year, and maybe we'll squeeze one more in and, and tackle the off season with you guys as well. So, thanks a lot. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Bye. guys. Thank you for listening to the Jet Centric Broadcast.